is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm optimistic. I mean, I think it's Warren Buffett that says never bet against the American economy. I think that works. The markets are saying one move a year. The Fed's saying one move per quarter. That is a huge divergence. If you look at the unemployment rates that exist, especially among the youth in Europe, there is an ample supply of labor to be gotten. There is no inflation to be found. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. A little less fireworks than yesterday morning. Nevertheless, we'll give you perspective across all of economics. In this hour, finance and derivatives. Uh, Julian Emanuel will join us with UBS here uh, in a moment. Just lots to talk about and the ramifications and outcome. Lots of kitchen sinks out on Twitter yesterday. Is That is what it is suggested President Draghi uh, did. Bloomberg Surveillance. In this hour, and always, brought to you by Cone Resnick, Accounting Tax Advisory. Trust Cone Resnick for the strategy, the insight your business needs to move forward. Find out what Cone Resnick thinks and sign up for insight. Do that at ConeResnick.com, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, ConeResnick.com. Julian, I have never looked more forward to speaking to you than right now. All we've done is economics, ISLM, Phillips Curve. Economics, boring. Mr. Emanuel is uh, with U.S. Equity and Derivative Strategy, UBS. How did Mr. Draghi change your world yesterday? Well, look, so he obviously he surprised the bazooka was even bigger than we expected. But, you know, and, and, and that's a backstop. No question about it. But he did draw lines. Uh, you know, there are limits to how low negative rates can actually go. Uh, but it definitely was a, a psychological boost. And I think where we are in terms of the markets and sentiment, as poor as sentiment has been since the start of the year, what we're finding is that positive surprises yeah. can tend to have an asymmetric upside reaction. And you're seeing that this morning because we had a positive mm-hmm. surprise on television last night when we saw a very, very reasoned, positive debate on substantive okay. issues. Well, I'll let you link that in. We're not going to do that uh, for you. Julian, give me an update from UBS, Zurich, New York, London. Give me an update on the liquidity into the weekend. The backdrop for President Draghi was real issues about simple liquidity, but also some great complexities in the Julian Emanuel world. Is it liquid out there? Is there oil in the engine? <laughs> well, it, 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 what we saw... Um, the first couple months told us that liquidity was absolutely challenged, as all assets seem to correlate to one and move in lockstep. But over the last month, particularly as data has gotten better and there's the sense that, yes, there is a backstop with respect to European financials and that, in fact, the U.S. economy it could actually be doing better than very reduced expectations, liquidity is coming back. It's still challenged, but it's a gradual process. There's a question about liquidity in Europe following the ECB. If they're going to start buying lots of corporates, are we going to have a shortage of bonds to trade uh, in the corporate sector to go along with the shortage we seem to have in the government sector? It's definitely possible. I mean, those are considerations, but, you know, the the psychology of, of, of that was something that I think Draghi knew coming into yesterday, and it was a calculated effort to sort of portray it as a positive, and by all rights, uh, he seems to have succeeded. Can I ask you this? 
Uh, is the positive reaction we're seeing today based on the idea that Draghi is doing something, or is it based on mathematical calculations of the impact this will have on uh, financial markets, asset prices, uh, and feeding into the economy? Well, it, it's really both. But, but if you look at it, again, and, and we've been saying this for a while, you really almost had a negativity bubble in January and February. You had bad news coming out of China, volatility there. You had uh, another leg down in the oil markets that no one really was expecting. Then you had weak data globally, which turned in February. And so the reality is, is that in this type of situation, particularly when earnings are still going to be challenged on the corporate front globally, psychology is, is much more important than usual. And, you know, he's, he's doing what he feels is necessary to get psychology turned in the right direction. Did you change your strategy? And may I expand that, Julian, to say, did UBS change its strategy off what we saw yesterday? Not materially, no. Um, in fact, as you saw with the reaction in the euro, you know, it's our view that what's being done is eventually going to stabilize uh, Europe and, and allow it to resume a growth trajectory um, into uh, the end of 2016 and 2017. We actually think uh, that the euro could trade modestly higher from here against the dollar. What does that mean for um, equity investments in Europe then? Well, you, you know, you, you've had this incredible divergence between uh, defensives and uh, more cyclical issues, particularly banks, and obviously the whole story about uh, financials in Europe is going to continue to be challenged, but it really it, it provides just a, a, a more favorable backdrop. And, and again, we go back to this entire issue of psychology. If, you, if you're providing measures that can, in effect, dampen volatility – and support liquidity, that's the kind of time-buying uh, exercise that central bankers have been undertaking essentially since 2008 that, that we think succeeds uh, and, and gives room for growth. If I make a statement, Julian, that the punch bowl was refilled yesterday, what does that mean for equity markets? Obviously, it's 17,044 on the futures opening up 142 points. Things are pretty good, saving us from correction or bear market. But how do you link a, something as historical as the punch bowl with my enthusiasm for equities? <laughs> well, there's no doubt that they do have a reasonably clear linkage and part of the market's um, anxiety has been that the Fed is the one that, that is perceived to actually be draining the punch bowl, whereas the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the People's Bank of China are, are the ones that are refilling the punch bowl. And that sort of shoving off of responsibility is something that's unnerved people. But at the end of the day, we still think the Fed is going to be very incremental and very cautious uh, about its own uh, draining activities, and, and that's an equity-supportive environment. You hear uh, both sides of uh, the argument uh, on the Fed from people in the markets. You hear them say the Fed's going to be very incremental, and then they all say, well, things are going to be terrible because the Fed may raise rates too fast. Uh, why, why, why can't people agree on what the Fed is going to do here? Is it the Fed's fault? Uh, it, it is, but, but there's a purposefulness in that. The Fed has made it very clear since the taper tantrum began in May of 2013 
that this cycle was going to be unlike any other cycle, certainly unlike uh, the 04 to 06 uh, rate hike cycle, where you went once uh, at, at every consecutive meeting, 17 meetings, and volatility was very low. This is a different time. We've never come off of the zero interest rate bound. It's never been done successfully in the history of modern finance. So the Fed needs the flexibility. But the message the Fed sent out in uh, in the January uh, minutes, um, mentioning the word uncertainty 19 times, you know, very historic, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is, is something that says to investors, we are going to continue to err on the side okay. of caution. My they know key, how to fight inflation. My key word yesterday, and I haven't had the luxury of talking to your colleague, Paul Donovan, was the word horizon, which, as you know, Julian, has all sorts of mathematical and physics connotations. Mario Draghi's looking out to a horizon and then beyond it. Do I do what I do with my money knowing that Mario Draghi can't even see the horizon X number of years out? Can I have a newer confidence off of yesterday? Uh, it, it, is, it is something that's going to take time, Tom, and, and that, that's part of this entire equation. Central bankers consistently since 2008 have been buying time for investors' psychology to improve for economic fundamentals to improve. And what we're finding in a post-debt crisis environment is that it's a very difficult, drawn-out yeah. process. But, is, but it is going to succeed. No, this is great. Julian Emanuel with us. We'll come back and talk about specifics of the market as well. Mike, I love how we're, we're looking at economics, and then you've got a guy like uh, Mr. Emanuel looking at it much more over towards what I'll call applied investment. Right, like what do you actually do? Yeah. What do you actually do? With all the international economics we saw uh, yesterday, I, I again, folks, Catherine Mann this morning was blistering in her support of uh, Mr. Draghi. She meant no words about it, that, that this was done with intellectual courage and with a real conviction of where he wants Europe to be. Almost, Mike, is a surrogate fiscal authority. Well, that's uh, that is true. That's one of the criticisms of central banks these days is, yeah, have they gone too far in that direction? No, there's no question about that. Let's do a data check here. On a Friday, green on the screen, up 19. Dow futures up 147, two percent in view, 1.95 percent up two basis points, and the euro uh, a little bit of a bid in the last 20 minutes, 111. 02 yen 113.81 euro yen 126 uh 126.35 off the bloomberg time to check in with michael bar now and get the latest world and national headlines michael mike tom thank you very much mourners will say their final goodbyes today to nancy reagan the former first lady will be buried today next to her husband who she adoringly called my ronnie at the Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. About a 1,000 guests have been invited to today's funeral, including former President George W. Bush. Reagan's two children will give remarks, along with former NBC News anchor Tom Brokaw and James Baker, who was with the Reagan administration. Donald Trump says he has picked up the endorsement of former rival Ben Carson. Trump made the announcement during last night's Republican presidential debate in Miami. The weekend strike deadline is approaching for more than 4,000 New Jersey transit rail workers. 
New Jersey Transit Special Counsel says key issues such as wages and health care remain in play. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Julian Emanuel with us with UBS as we look at the effect of yesterday's announcements by Mr. Draghi. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch's Global Cash Management Solutions, helping you manage, protect, and invest your global cash wherever the road to growth leads. That's the power of Global Connections. Bank of America, North America, member FDIC. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. Stock Index futures higher this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call, and here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures are maintaining their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures higher by 152 points. SBs gained 20. And NASA futures rise by 50. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.95%. And crude futures trade to the highest level since December. Overnight in Asia, Hong Kong rose 1.1%. And European markets are also rising, led by 4% gains in Italy. On the economic front at 830, U.S. import price index and Canadian unemployment data. After the Bellis night, Ulta Salon beat shares are higher by 13% pre-market. And regarding earnings this morning, Genesco year-adjusted EPS view missed estimates and Hibbit year EPS view trailed estimates. Following some year Wall Street upgrades and downgrades, TransCanada cut to neutral over at Citigroup. Blackstone cut to whole versus buy at Deutsche Bank. Over at Goldman Sachs, Anadarko raised to buy. Chevron and Diamond Offshore both raised to neutral. Finally, Symantec raised to outperform over at RBC. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Have you considered all of your investment alternatives, non-traditional asset classes, and strategies may help you achieve your goals? Find out more at Invesco.com slash alternatives. We've done Draghi, Draghi, Draghi with Julian Emanuel of UBS. Let's try to figure out what to do about it. Julian, what do I do about inflation break even? What do I do about tips? What do I do about investing to game a reversion to the mean in inflation. Can I do that with confidence? Uh, well, we think you can. We think we saw sort of the panic bottom uh, over the last several months in inflation expectations. And I think what you really have to ask yourself, Tom, is, you know, what is this rally in gold all about? Is it because of, of an uncertainty hedge? Is it because of a lack of faith in currencies? Or is it because of the reason that over the last 40 or 50 years has typically been the case in that this low interest rate environment, maybe just maybe two or three years down the road, is going to actually create inflation? And we think that's sort of a, an untold story. And, uh, you know, the expectation is for gradually creeping higher inflation. Do you invest, uh, do you invest on maybes, though? Uh well, look, there is always an element of that in investing. And, and again, part of this is the psychology, which, as we look at it, um, has become very in, intensely negative. And it, 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 
we, we, the one thing we don't know, and I think the entire globe has to, has to really get their arms around the, the fact, the, the maybe of what the ultimate effect of negative interest rates is, is something that's an unknown. But what we do know is that at some point, if the Fed's going to be successful, if Mario Draghi is going to be successful, we are going to have more inflation. Well, if you look at it, and we've been waiting, and a lot of people listening to this program have been waiting and waiting and waiting for inflation. All agree service sector inflation is elevated. Goods producing inflation is not. How do you parse a two-part economy with your investment bet believing that service sector inflation will win the day? No, that's a very good question, and I think that's part of the conundrum that people are facing right now. Um, you know, typically in this part of the cycle, when the Fed begins raising interest rates, we, we see the more cyclical sectors, the more cyclical indicators. We see economic acceleration. We see inflation start to perk up uh, ever so slightly, particularly on the wage front, which is something we're seeing in fits and starts. Um, but, but it does raise this question. We're not convinced that you want to tilt cyclically yet. Uh, it's, you know, the, the oil price rebound is, is very encouraging, but we don't think we're in an environment where you're going to have the level of economic activity that's going to justify uh, $50 and $60 oil in 2016. So, so we think that some of the beaten-up growth names are, are attractive here. Um. The Fed raises rates. Uh, does that change things, or is 25 base points, 50 base points, not a real uh, change to your models? Well, it, it it doesn't change the models per se, but what it really we think has the potential of doing is validating um, the the fact that everything else that we're seeing um, out of Europe, out of China, the measures that are being taken are ultimately going to be successful looking into 2017 as growth starts to normalize. And, and, and that's a potentially very positive signaling mechanism. Julian, thank you so much. Julian Emanuel of UBS on linking here investment and all that's applied into uh, what we've been doing uh, with international economics uh, today. Mike, um, it, it's always a quiet economic week. Let me get over to the right screen here. Um, I mean, import price it in seven minutes. I guess I'm not thrilled. Tell me. But retail sales coming up next week, do we have a clue? I mean, uh, it's, 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 I see negative statistics. You don't, well, you see headline negative stats, uh, and that can be certainly influenced by the fact that gasoline prices fell significantly last month. Uh, but uh, we shall see. Uh, you know, auto sales weren't bad. And, uh, I was thunderstruck by Peter Hooper. I asked him point blank, what's your year call? He subbed 2%. Real GDP. Well, um, we don't know. I did not expect That's that. The thing. Yeah. Um, well, there's a, a lot of people, are uh, a lot of uncertainty, put it that way built into everyone's yeah. forecast right now. Maybe that's the theme for the weekend as we begin hey, our weekend reading. Look at it this way. You get, you get, it, if, if, <clears throat> if what Draghi says works, what he did works, then Europe picks up more demand for U.S. products. The yeah. dollar is not higher. 
So uh, American exports may be gone. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors at work. No, I think you bring up an important thing besides Euro parity, and you heard Julian Emanuel push against that. Uh, Euro 111.08 and the certitude of a weaker euro means the certitude of a stronger dollar. And as Michael McKee mentions, folks, that has not happened. DXY 96.53 is one of those uh, indicators. Oil with a bid up a dollar. You're really on the $40 watch for American West Texas Intermediate. Right now, 38.77 on West Texas Intermediate. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Next, a bit of economic data. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Time for the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverChiState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event. Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, it's 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators. Brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, the one number we have out this morning is the import price index, down three-tenths of a percent. Last month it was down one percent. And uh, so that is, I guess, something of an improvement. The import price index year-over-year down 6.1%. Our neighbors north of the border are reporting their jobs figures, and it is not good news. Canada loses 2,300 jobs in February. The jobless rate climbs to 7.3%. Yeah, but that was just the NHL teams up there trading all their players out because <laughs> they're, they're all in the last place. They wait until after the uh, trading deadline to uh, put these figures out. I mean, Dale Weiss may... went from Montreal to Chicago Blackhawks. That directly affects Canada's yeah, jobless rate. the labor force rate. falls and <laughs> <laughs> the jobless rate climbs. Might also have something to do with Earl prices, as they would say out west. Mm. Um, but anyway, not good news uh, for yeah. Canada. Scott Brown is with us. He is a senior vice president, chief economist at Raymond James Associates. He's down in um, the Tampa area, I believe. And, uh, yeah. We, we, we talked to him, I think, last about the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, we did. Scott, I just want to jump in here. I know we want to get to Draghi and all that. Why do I care about import price indexes? John Writing at RDQ makes a big deal about this. Why does Scott Brown care about import prices? Well, it's one part of the overall inflation outlook. Um, we've seen, obviously, a strong dollar, uh, substantial weakness in commodity prices, particularly energy, um, and that has a, a mixed in, uh, effect on the economy. It's especially beneficial to consumers because that means uh, the price of goods are, are going to be a lot lower, um, and particularly the drop of gasoline, that leaves them, uh, your typical consumer, with uh, more money to spend on other things. So uh, that's very, uh, you know, very much a po- uh, positive. But we're also seeing downward pressure on export prices. Uh, you know, For the U.S., we export a lot of raw materials. We export a lot of, uh, of farm products, and those prices have, have been down pretty substantially year over year. Um, that may change, uh, since much of that is based on the weather. We were talking uh, yesterday about that with Dennis Garman, who sees uh, higher prices for soft commodities. If we start getting uh, 
we start getting uh, higher prices, how does that affect us? Well, uh, this should uh, bottom out. In fact, I think the, the Fed policymakers anticipate that uh, you know we'll see at least some stabilization, if not improvement. And we've already seen oil prices rebound. We're now uh, at thirty-eight dollars uh, for uh, WTI. Uh, that uh, you know certainly trending higher. Uh, so maybe things have turned. Um, you know, we mentioned the stronger dollar, uh, particularly if you look at the first couple of months of this year, we had a you know even a further gain in the dollar versus our two key trade partners, Canada and Mexico, that now has turned the corner and started to, to move the other way. Very often you'll see currencies overshooting in one direction and then eventually correction, uh, correcting. So I think that's where we are now. It's, uh, you know, at some point people are going to start looking at emerging economies and not be so fearful. Maybe the capital starts flowing, you know, back out of the U.S. towards these emerging economies. Getting that timing is going to be pretty difficult, but, you know, it may have already started. When I look at global GDP on a Friday, and of course after all the festivities of yesterday as well, when the clarion emotions of this first quarter, as Citigroup's call a global recession, and the gaming of the probability in that, the backdrop of this is the U.S. does okay, England does okay, Ireland, I believe, showed great numbers yesterday, many have mentioned Spain as well. What is the likelihood, Scott Brown, now of global recession? Well, I think we're relatively close. I mean, if you look at the old really? IMF yeah. definition, 3% global growth used to be uh, considered a global recession, and that is because a lot of these emerging economies normally are going to be growing a lot faster. It's a little bit less than 3% now, and that's because you, you have to account for the, the population growth slowing down. So, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, relatively soft. I mean, that's, that's no surprise. Um, I think there's really an over-obsession with this, uh, with our word. Um, you know, I've been getting calls almost daily. Are we heading into a recession? Yeah. I got a piece last week about the, you know, how you determine whether we are one in, in a recession, what the indicators are. Um, and the fear is that we're going to end up talking ourselves into one. And, and that's really, I think, the dominant factor this year. Well, in the financial but, Mike, market. one of the great observations, which I think, Michael McKee, you brought up this week for Scott Brown, is the exit polls from the Michigan primary – and how people feel about Scott Brown's American economy. Yeah, the amazing thing is eight of ten voters in Mississippi are very concerned about the state of the economy, which is is different from what you hear from people like Scott Brown. Well, it's exactly the true, and in, in this sort of political environment as well, I mean, you've got one side who, you know, this has to be a terrible economy because you want to see the White House switch parties. You're going to hear that rhetoric. Um, and for most people, granted, I mean, you know, they they do not feel much of a, of a recovery here. Um, you know, this has been uh, really a, a very slow going for the middle class, not just during this recovery, but over the last 10 or 20 years. And, and I think you're seeing that in evidence in, in who people are supporting. They feel like the right. establishment, both Republican and Democrat, have really kind of left them behind. Well, very quickly here, Scott Brown, was Mario Draghi's work yesterday not less about economics, but was there a tinge of politics to it as well? Uh, I didn't get that sense at all. I think, um, you know, the, the ECB had disappointed investors in December by not, not doing enough. Uh, and then yesterday they, they pulled out not just a bazooka, but all the bazookas and fired them all off at once. But the ironic thing is Draghi ended up snatching defeat from the jaws of victory by, you know, hinting that, you know, they're very unlikely to do much more uh, right away. I think the markets have kind of, you know, geared to this sort of, you know, opiate of, of easier monetary policy yeah. and, and and if they don't get it, they're going to go through uh, withdrawals. 
Scott Brown with us, uh, with Raymond James. Love to have him on. He took his degree at San Diego under the laureate's Engel and Granger. That is really cool. Scott Brown will continue uh, with us. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Hi, Tom. Thank you very much. Nancy Reagan's two children will give remarks at today's funeral for the former First Lady. Nancy Reagan will be buried at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, next to her husband. Four of the five living former First Ladies will also attend today's funeral. It was a civil debate among Republican presidential candidates last night, free of insults and shouting. The candidates discussed several issues, including Social Security and Muslims. This morning, Marco Rubio told ABC News a Donald Trump nomination is not guaranteed. Traditionally, if anybody else would be in the position that Donald is in, everyone would be out there telling the rest of us, you need to get out and rally around him. It's not happening for one simple reason. The, the majority, almost two-thirds of Republicans, do not want Donald Trump to be our nominee. One of the busiest rail systems in the nation could come to a grinding halt. A weekend strike deadline looms with New Jersey Transit Union workers. Union leaders and New Jersey Transit have been meeting, hoping to avert a strike early Sunday morning. Issues on the table include wages and health care. Union workers have been without a contract for almost five years. A strike means major commuting problems in and out of New York City. Traffic experts say a strike could mean backups of 20 miles or more at the already busy Lincoln and Holland Tunnels. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stasha. Thanks, Mike. We'll find out Sunday the NCAA tournament field. The New York area should be well represented with Iona and Fairleigh Dickinson already assured of spots. Stony Brook can gain entry for the first time ever with a win at home tomorrow over Vermont. The America East final starts at 11 in the morning. Monmouth may get in at large bid, and Seton Hall will almost certainly get one of the Pirates to beat Creighton. 81-73, Big East quarterfinals at the Garden. They'll play Xavier tonight. Fordham lost to Richmond 70-55 to at the Atlantic 10 tourney in Brooklyn. And Rutgers just went 7-20. And inspired coach Eddie Jordan. Hockey Devils won 3 0 at San Jose. The shutout for Keith Kincaid. NBA, the last ever meeting between Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. Kobe actually outscored LeBron, but the Cavs beat the Lakers 120 to 108. There has not been an NBA Finals without Kobe or LeBron since 2006. Aroldis Chapman will begin the season suspended, but he can pitch in spring training. Made his Yankee debut, got two outs, but walked two and hit two. Noah Syndergaard, sharp for the Mets, three scoreless innings. The Jets have added another running back, Kyrie Robinson, who broke his leg last season in New Orleans. They also re-signed Bilal Powell, who came on strong at the end of 2015. Another new giant linebacker, Keenan Robinson, signed away from Washington with the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashe. John, that was great. Walk two, hit two. Shades of Bull Durham uh, there yesterday in spring uh, training. I believe they probably had a conversation after the uh, it's, trip to the mound. It's spring training. <laughs> We're, it's spring. It's been lovely in New York. Um, you know, it's, it's gorgeous. It's time to think about baseball. The average temperature in March, I looked it up, is 48 degrees, and we're uh, well above that. doing uh, better than that. The Russian ruble just broke 70. It is 69.82. The Russian ruble has appreciated 15.5%, rounded to 15%. uh, Mr. Putin feeling a little bit wealthier on this Friday morning. Future's up 16. Stay with us. Michael McKee and Tom Keen with Scott Brown and Raymond James. Bloomberg Surveillance. 
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CBOE VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with CBOE VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at CBOE.com slash Powerful Outcomes VIX. U.S. stock index futures are higher, and indication stocks will trim their first weekly drop in four, mirroring a global equity rally as investors reassess stimulus measures in Europe. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 17 points. Dow E-mini futures up 130. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 44. DAX in Germany is up 3.1%. CAC in Paris up 3%. And the FT100 up 1.6%. Ten-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.92%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.8% or 69 cents to 38.54 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 3 tenths percent or $4.30 to 12.68.30 an ounce. The euro, $1.1123, the yen, 113.61. And Deutsche Bank, which runs Europe's biggest investment bank, saying it expects the industry's revenue to decline this year as clients consider pulling back from trading some fixed income securities and refrain from doing deals. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Friday morning, futures up 20 earlier, now up 17 as well. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Panuru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. What a lot of commentators see in Donald Trump's political ascent is reinforcement for their own long-held views. And they find that reinforcement regardless of the evidence. Take the argument that Republicans created the conditions for Trump's success by teaching their followers to value obstruction and hate President Obama. It's a strange theory, since Trump is the Republican candidate who has given Obama the most praise and talks the most about making deals. And he has lagged among voters who call themselves very conservative, the people whom one would expect to be most anti-Obama. In truth, several streams feed Trump's river. Opposition to the Republican establishment, economic anxiety, and concern about illegal immigration are all playing a role. But so is admiration for successful businessmen. An oversimplified view of Trump's coalition can lead us to mistaken conclusions. We may take an unfair and alarming view of millions of our fellow citizens. And we may wrongly assume that nothing can be done to persuade his supporters to reconsider their votes. I'm Ramesh Panuru. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Michael? Well, we have perhaps seen the uh, last of the Republican debates for the time being, depending on how uh, turnout is uh, and the vote goes next Tuesday. But uh, before they ended, Brett Bayer spent quite a bit of time on stage with the candidates as host of many of the debates for Fox News and his Fox News special report, one of the most watched news programs out there. And you can listen, of course, to Fox News Sunday, 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. every Sunday here on Bloomberg Radio. Brett, I, we saw last night Donald Trump beginning to suggest that he might try to move away from some of his most extreme positions. Um, 
in the in the in the manner that candidates do once they feel they're the party's nominee. But uh, others have raised the question, and uh, this came up, I know, at your debate, of whether Donald Trump can, or if he changes his positions, he loses the support of all the people who are so far out there in their anger. Right, Tom. Like good morning. I, I think the unique thing about Donald Trump is that uh, he has used flexibility on issues as a benefit uh, in a primary where, at least going in, sticking to your guns, uh, fighting for principle was the thing that a lot of people thought was going to drive the day, and, and hence Ted Cruz's nomination uh, could have been a possibility. Right now, Donald Trump is in position uh, and really the only one in position to get to the majority of delegates without a contested convention. Now, he uh, is, um, he's been called the end of the Republican Party. <laughs> uh, you're very close to people in the party. Uh, what, what do you think? Well, they're, they're really um, pulling their hair out. They don't know exactly what to do. Um, there are some who think... Uh, when Donald Trump is the nominee, there will be a massive loss to Hillary Clinton, and the party will restructure itself. There are others who think that he is a candidate who is unique unto himself, and he will compete in states that other Republicans would not, and think that he has a shot against Hillary Clinton. Um, I think those are the optimistic of the bunch. Within this, in, in Vox yesterday, I'm searching for the bar chart right now, Brett Beer, but Vox put out a terrific chart going back a good 30 years of the summation of negative and positive tone on each of the major candidates. And it's really everybody else, and there's nuances, Romney, Clinton, back to Bob Dole, etc. And then there's uniquely the negative perception of Mr. Trump. How does he shift that and when? It's got to happen soon. I think to, last night was part of it, uh, Tom. I think, you know, this kind of quiet, uh, not jumping down people's throats, not counterpunching right away, um, a, a tone and tenor of that debate was an example of him shifting. Um, but you're right. His negatives are up at <clears throat> above 60%. I mean, folks, they're a jump condition over everybody else we've grown up with. Now, I will say that Hillary Clinton's negatives are, are pretty high, too. Um, but much like Mitt Romney went into that election uh, with Romney care, unable right. to fight the battle against Obamacare really effectively, uh, there are some who are concerned right. that because of honest and trustworthy numbers, Donald Trump essentially is, is neutered in the same way. And now, folks, we go to Bloomberg Surveillance News Breaking. House Speaker Paul Ryan and his counsel has sent a cease and desist letter to Brett Baer over the draft <laughs> Ryan group because Brett Baer needs more ratings. Come on, this is off your blog this week. Are you kidding me? Now they're going to get Speaker Ryan into this? Yeah, well, uh, listen, there are these uh, groups that are imagining this uh, person on a white horse coming into the convention in Cleveland and saving the day. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Right, you could get the Florida vote if you run. <laughs> you never know. Talk gone. Uh, <laughs> I, I got uh, I got to quickly ask you about the other side of the uh, political coin on the yeah. Democratic side. Um, Bernie Sanders making a race of it, but Hillary Clinton, the, you know, the delegate math is is pretty overwhelming. Somebody asked me last night after watching the Democratic debate and then watching the Republican debate and watching Donald Trump debate, um, 
he has no policies, and he basically just says, we need a good deal uh, to everything. Uh, how will Hillary Clinton do in a debate against Donald Trump? He dominates the other people who are on the stage on the Republican side. Will it be different with her? Yeah, I mean, that's really fascinating. I mean, she is a policy wonk and is very comfortable into the details. He is not comfortable there, uh, but he is comfortable, uh, you know, saying things at 30,000 feet that people say, okay, let's give him a shot. I think he's riding a wave of anger against Washington that says, forget it, kick the table over, let's start, somebody's going to shake it up. She is clearly establishment, so that, that'll be quite a battle. Brett Bayer, it's going to be a fascinating battle to follow with you here on uh, Bloomberg Radio, and you can listen, of course, to Fox News Sunday, 12 and 4. May, may I state that the left Radio. and the right simply say that he and some slash all of his cohorts have done a great job at Fox? Yeah. Full disclosure. Special report. Um, Scott Brown is uh, still with us uh, from Raymond James. Uh, and, Scott, this sort of leads into a question I wanted to I'll put to you as uh, the economic representative on the program here now. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has a very interesting survey out today uh, suggesting that three more than three-quarters of the forecasters in their latest survey, uh, they, they survey economists around the country in all kinds of jobs, say the presidential election has introduced more uncertainty than is typical, and about uh, two-thirds of them say that if, uh, no, four-fifths of the economists say that if you elected Mr. Sanders or Mr. Trump, they would have to lower their economic forecasts, that that would be an economic negative for the country. Yeah, it's hard to say for sure, particularly, uh, you know, if you look at, at Trump's proposals, because there's really not a lot there. Uh, there. There are no details. Uh, but, you know, when he talks about uh, tearing up trade deals, I mean, that is a huge deal. I mean, the, the, these things are designed so that you're not able to back away from them. Uh, tearing them up means that you're going to set off this chain reaction, uh, which is not going to be good, good for the global economy. Um, now, when push comes to shove, I think, you know, he, if Trump wins the nomination, you're going to get the establishment Republicans coming in and trying mm -hmm. to kiss and make up. And, he, you know, the new president will have to deal with Congress. And the president, uh, you know, is never going to get everything that he wants uh, in his administration. I mean, you look at the Obama administration and, you know, you've, you've got the stalemate, uh, presumably with a Republican in the White House, Republican in both chambers of Congress, uh, then some things can get done. Mm. But, you know, you look at the Bush administration and we had, you know, two unfunded wars, two, uh, you know, a, a prescription drug plan that wasn't paid for. Um so you know you need to be be careful. I mean the stalemate you know kind of works. I mean if you remember during the the Clinton administration, you know the Republicans didn't get their big tax cuts, the Democrats didn't get their big spending programs, and you ended up with a budget surplus at the end of it. Uh, but at this point, I think things have to come together. But you're not really seeing much, much uh, working together uh, on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, Scott, uh, thank you so much, Scott Brown with Raymond James, uh, with us this morning. We'll have you on for a longer period here in the near future. Very, very uh, interesting on the ramifications on the U.S. economy of where we are. Lower GDP growth and a bit, just a bit of inflation. Another hour this Friday of Bloomberg Surveillance.